and welcome back to Shade Podcast with me, Lou Mensah, and our ninth series where we'll explore the influences that shape black contemporary art today. Inspired by the tradition of the harmony between the lyrical and the visual, these artist conversations reveal the people and the sounds that inspire their practice. There's a playlist to accompany the series, which was created for you by my guests. So enjoy this convening of spirits to mark the end of the year. Today I'm joined by Tyrone Isaac Stewart. Tyrone is a concept-driven artist whose skills originate from jazz and hip-hop theatre. Working as a performer across dance and music, his practice has grown to become a mixture of crump, contemporary dance, visual art and jazz. Tyrone is one of this year's Take 5 Jazz awardees. The programme supports the UK's most talented jazz musicians. Tyrone features in Julian Knox's latest exhibition, Chorus in Rememory of Flight, currently running at the Barbican until February next year. And he recently released his debut LP, Sick, and he was also called One to Watch by Giles Peterson this year. Tyrone is an art powerhouse, an expansive talent. We connected a couple of years ago when he worked on some sounds for a Shade podcast project. And we started today's conversation with Tyrone telling me about the current period of transition that he's in as he settled at home for a few days between gigs at the Jazz Festival and his forthcoming trip to Europe. Wow, thanks Lou for a powerhouse intro as well. Put me in very good light, so I appreciate that. Yeah, it's also my pleasure. You know, it's been an inspiration to be a listener of the Shade podcast, to have contributed on the creative side and and now to be, you know, a speaker. So thank you as well. Let me say that. I am in a transitional mode. I go away the end of this week to Europe to work with a a great artist called Nora Chibamiri. And I've just come off the back of a spell of performances in jazz festivals. So I'm in that in-between week, trying to get everything kind of closed and prepare for this new thing, but also trying to rest up and uh, so I'm I'm generally well and uh, trying to, you know, as we spoke a little bit before, getting to a habit of rest and especially valuing these transitional times. Mm. I think that's really important, especially for artists, because, you know, we embody our work. It's not like you just clock off at 5 p.m. It's always part of our thoughts, like our daily practice, whatever that may be, our reading, our listening to music. And so like switching off is quite like a, it's quite an intangible concept for some artists. What I've been thinking about for this series is the presences, the people that accompany us, who are with us on our creative journey. And so I'm just wondering about what presences you may feel as you work. Who's with you? Tyrone? Yeah, great question. I identify as someone who comes from a variety of cultures, creative cultures, and there are subcultures within those mediums. So not only do I come from the tradition of dance, but the tradition of hip hop, the tradition of crump, the tradition of contemporary dance, uh, much of these. And there are people that I'm consciously trying to be in dialogue with through the work that I make. And so I'd say that I'm with them. And there are probably, I believe that there are things, concepts and ways that I'm not even aware of that I'm also in dialogue with. 
One thing I have been thinking a lot more, which I think is connected to this, is the notion of being present. I know my personal tendency, I'm, I have a habit of either really going back to tradition and being in the past, you know, or really trying to rid myself of that and pursue this idea of contemporariness and look towards the future. But just to be before someone in performance and to deal with that live moment is something I have to constantly keep reminding myself of that that is the practice. And I think some things that people do say in the experience of my works is the notion of presence. So that's something that I, through people saying that to me, I then question like, what is this dialogue of being present? So when we talk about who is with me, I would say I try to bring my whole arc. I, I believe that I'm a product of mentorship and I'm a product of people investing in, in myself. And so I bring all those, I, I want to at least feel like I'm bringing all those with me. But also, you know, we spoke a little bit about this, like the practice in dance. One thing that I think the older generations were maybe more used to was a practice that ventured on the solo dimension and the group dimension. And so you'd see performers you know, you go see Akron Khan and he's got this solo work and then you've got the company or you'd see a breaking convention where there's someone doing a solo and then, and it wasn't, I'd hope to believe it wasn't always I'm solo because I don't have the budget to bring people, but more so I'm solo because there's things that I have to investigate by myself. And then actually I'm doing this group piece because there's things that I can only see come to fruition because this is a community of people a work that people would have seen you in recently, which was Rememory of Flight with Julian Knox at the Barbican. The work is called Chorus in Rememory of Flight. And I think the chorus part is super important because yes. it talks about being a part of something. There's a lot of musical language that comes with the idea of a chorus, the idea of a refrain that they're coming back to. And so in many ways, I felt like I was a part of a chorus. And what, so the point I said was like, in some ways, yes, in some ways, no. On the side of the yes, there's already musical language that is embedded in the ideas of that work because of the way Julian's working with choirs, the way that the musical landscape is. There's a lot of musical language that I already know and then can try and translate into movement. But maybe more importantly is the relationship between the artists that play. In this case, I have a good relationship with Julian and there's a lot of trust in our relationships. And this was my maybe second or third work with him. So we've, in some ways, we've established a chorus. We've established a way of like knowing and being able to trust. And so I know a part of Julian's process is that what you do on the shoot day isn't necessarily, you know, what's going to come in there. And he needs to go through the editing process, yeah. which I understand because on the side of music, the editing process is, is that's kind of like how I do music. You know, there's like a, okay, let me let the guys play and then let me curate this material into a song of some sort. I knew that in many ways, Julian knew that he wanted me to interpret the, the themes of the work through the body to be sensitive to the space to work with a variety of positions, but it was still quite open in saying kind of, so yeah, do what you do. 
what that means is I have to kind of be in some sort of personal investigation, mm-hmm. which I kind of am through the kind of work that I'm doing. There were ways of moving that are in the kind of things that I'm investigating and finding interesting. So the combination of that means that me and Julian can have a session where we've kind of jammed with each other and then he's going to go away and from that material construct that. In some ways, that's that's without music. What we would do sometimes is play music that moves me, which I'm now realising is a thing. Sometimes to get the best movement out of me, I need to have sounds that move me. Mm. And therefore, I'm just like, that's my shortcut to like, okay, let's go from zero to 100, like, ASAP, then give me my tunes, <laughs> you know, and, and, and then I can then I can get that. So the combination of seeing what moves me and then bringing that to the soundtrack that's been being developed uh, on one side and then letting all that speak is what creates the final product which you see at the Barbican. All of your work starts with a personal investigation. And I think that's quite overlooked in all areas of creativity. And I just wondered, who are the artists or art movements that have inspired you or held you in your processes as you've been going through that personal investigation? Just in that comment, I think there's an important thing, which I always encourage artists to ask, you know, and and I started realising because of the quickness in which my artistry was evolving or moving, I was always assumed that I'm at a place which I might not be. So the question, like, where are you at? Like I said, I'm, I was starting in Crump. By the time I started moving more into making the album and stuff, it was harder for me to connect with that movement in the way that it might be seen as. So when I'd be getting calls or like, I need you to, like, can you do this movement thing? And the expectation is, yeah, because I, I really see like you doing this Crump thing. I would have to communicate, yeah, like that's not really where my body's been. We mm. had a whole pandemic doing that in my room was not what was giving me the healing I needed. So I move different now. And I would have to say, look, this is where I'm at. And I'm cool. Maybe you can choose someone else. Or if you want where I'm at, that's fine. But in my work, I am now like, that's a prerequisite. You know, where are you at? This is what I know you to be, what I find interesting in you. But that might be a lot harder to do that. But maybe let's start from there and see what comes from that. So the question, where are you at for me, becomes really important in that way. And maybe the other development I am finding is being aware of peer improvement and peer inspiration. When I was growing up, the notion of a peer mentor was more of a mentor, meaning elder to younger, because there was also less people doing their own things at your age level. Whereas now there's a lot of people I consider peers, a lot of people I am inspired by that do their thing. I look at Julian and I see him as someone that's like, yeah, like that's someone I'm inspired by Mm. and I'm working with or like the stuff I can learn from. Mm. And so many other musicians, dancers, visual artists that I consider peers that are teaching me in ways which are different to the greats or the elders or the people from history, Black British history. And that means that the path that I'm trying to make more consciously is a transition from dancer, musician to interdisciplinary. You know, which just means that the work that I make is the combination of my creative mediums. And that's what I'm interested in. And I'm trying to build bodies of work that are examples of that. And therefore, who inspires me are people that have either achieved that 
or people that are on the route to achieving that. And sometimes it's either the younger generation because I'm seeing things that they don't even think twice about. You know, when I was growing up, the notion of I was given a lot of advice to choose mastery and focus on one medium. Whereas the younger generation, I don't think that's their burden. I think it's definitely a challenge to choose depth over breadth for the younger people, but it does look slightly different because we're also in an economy where people can validly say, why do I want to go deep in this if I can collaborate with someone else who's deep in that thing? In my generation, it wasn't as much the thing. So we kind of went deep by default. And so to answer your question, it's, it's the combination of people. I'm also trying to be a lot more local. A lot of my years were spent looking overseas. I guess I'm coming from jazz. I'm coming from hip hop. I'm coming from a lot of the American stars. Yeah. Um, and that's my archive. So I can't, you know, it's neither here or there, but mm. in upon reflection, it made me realize that I didn't get to get into some of the black British greats. I didn't get to get to Africa via the Caribbean, you know, it was maybe Africa through African-American history. It's much more important for me to wrestle with some of the nuanced stories, you know, like as an example, yeah, people like Joe Harriet, who's a Jamaican alto saxophonist who went to the Alpha Boys school and came to the UK and made very kind of contemporary abstract music that was very much ahead of his time. And it's a marvel to me that like someone with that background made the music that he did. It got me when I was like, why did it take me so long to come across these people? It's the mm-hmm. same with the visual art, the John Conferers, the, you know, the Codwara Shuns, you know, and, uh, and, and the, the great kind of writers and makers who were kind of on the cusp of many different disciplines that I just didn't have my lens on them. And it's only when I meet also peers who knew about them ages ago that I'm then humbled, sobered, and inspired to really sort of build a new phase of my artistry. The Black British artists just couldn't get the visibility Mm. that was 30 years later. They're getting introduced to the world stage in the way that they should have before. A thought that I am wrestling with is as we get more onto the world stage, only because you talked about being present, This becomes quite interesting to me because sometimes it feels like the code for getting on the world stage is if you talk about the history of the Black British story in the UK. Like there's a validity in that as well. But I want to get to a place where we also see people just innovating without the weight or the burning of like the code to success in that visual art space is by talking about history because yes. some people because then that doesn't really allow people to dream about futures and of course always you know like I'm not saying it's not valid but I'm just seeing that as a yes. as a pattern that I think as artists is important to also push back on yeah absolutely I did a whole series on that Tyrone it was inspired <laughs> by the life and work of Frank Bowling oh yeah yeah incredible work yeah absolutely refused to have any association of any coding that needed to be associated yeah with his work about what he was supposed to be talking about as a black Caribbean artist who came to the UK and then lived and worked in New York and saw the freedom that abstract artists were were having in the States they weren't kind of afforded here. It raises the question how do we talk to each other more so from the perspective uh, artists or 
just people of color, lovers of the, the work in more candid ways because of the diversity of the lenses on which we look through work. So for example, I've felt myself more being in works where I'm like, yes, I, you know, like, I don't really feel like it was for me, but I'm not saying because it was for me, because what the lens I'm looking at it from isn't, did this move me in a certain way? No, I'm not doing that. But the lens is, am I happy that this person has now positioned themselves to get to that next stage and hopefully make their work more sustainable? Yes. Like, then you're not speaking to maybe the underground side of my, which wants you to like push this or see nothing that I've never seen, because I know the pressures that might come with like, just getting onto this scale, into this venue, like has so many hurdles to hurdle. So the lens I'm looking at it with is how well, like hopefully that's positioning you for that next step. And the more we have those so that the eyes doesn't feel like, oh, like you're not really feeling my work or that. It's just that, no, like I'm looking, there are so many different lenses as you get through this art space that you look through the work with, maybe as someone making work, maybe as an audience, maybe as someone seeing the business infrastructure, all those things, whether I like the work or not is becoming more of a, irrelevant question for me because there's so many you know more like what lens am I looking f at this work through mm -hmm. and how would I communicate that to someone if I'm then asked to comment on the work and so it's just it's really always remembering where we are and connecting with ourselves and then we know how to kind of respond I think to the opportunities as yeah. they come our way and I just think you always just get to where you need to go at the right I think I've point. I've seen it quite a, a lot with, funnily enough, whilst I think it can happen in the dance industry, I think some parts of that industry are less tapped into that than the visual art and the music industry. And maybe because of the level of commerciality that mm. those play in, it's a lot easier in the visual art industry to say, yeah, just keep maxing out the work and this, that, and the third. And it's a lot easier in the, in the music industry to say, cool, like work the playlists, work this strategy and like work the live act performance. At least what I have experienced with the dance, sometimes having quite a process oriented, you know, you could be four weeks, you know, two months in a studio. You could be working on the work in that way. Like in if you're more in the kind of theater or performance space, it's that you get to a point where, yes, the volume metrics of how much output you put out is effective. But I've also come across people in those spheres really questioning how to do this differently, even if it's at the expense of scale, at the expense of capitalism. Because on one side, it's at the expense of that for the sake of the body and the other bodies that you're in commune with. So I've experienced the ethics there in a way that's really inspired me to mm. think about what the role of contentment in relation to what we put out as, as artists in one of the loudest times. You know, it, 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 sonically, the numbers don't lie in terms of sonically, we are in the loudest time of the, the level at which people want to hear music, the level at which engineers have to bounce out music. We are in the loudest times with the most amount of music coming out that we have ever been in and if art reflects society then you have to question what is that saying about where we're at in society and do we want to be submissive to that or do we want to try and wrestle with these things maybe propose alternatives and for better lack of a term swim upstream yeah yeah you know i know that you're coming into a, a 
a busy period, but as we end this conversation, think about the opposite of busy energy, like how we find some stillness. You know, it's like a plugging in, right? Isn't it? Stillness, plugging in of ourselves to ourselves. So how do you think about this anchoring and is stillness like an integral part of your creative process? You know, this has been really in my mind for the last couple of weeks, actually. I was in the studio with a great artist called Seraphine1369, and we was working on a work while I was jumping in their work, and the score involved moments of movement and moments of stillness. And one of the things I said to them was, you know, I've been doing these musical performances, and I am becoming hyper-aware of what I would call dead movement, you know, movement that is coming from a space of anxiety or a space of a lack of confidence because I'm struggling to be still before an audience member and just let the frequencies hit them and not distracted with any other movement. And so it was really wonderful to experience that in a dance studio, learning that. And in that week, I was moving into performances. So I was really learning the outcome of like, can you really just move with intention and deal with maybe the awkwardness because the listener might just be like, this dude's not moving. And funnily, I come from a background where, you know, I was in a part of an organization called the Tomorrow's Warriors. Um, and that's why I learned my jazz upbringing. And um, the leader, Gary, used to always say, man, you move too much when you play the saxophone, you know. My, my left shoulder just used to have its own world of its own. And that really left the mark on me because I used to be really, I went the complete opposite. I used to be a very still sax player and I had to relearn the balance of like what movement in playing an instrument was for me. And I'm still doing that. So I say this all to say that whilst I believe that stillness is a concept, I think things are always in movement, but the speed of that movement has its own integrity. And nine times out of 10, it's probably wiser to move at the slowest speed I can than the faster one, because you're already trying to combat the way life is taking you. So I have been learning stillness through musical performance. Nora Chipamero, who I'm going to be researching with next month, was also um, part of her uh, movement practice called Naka, uh, involves a practice called plugging in. And that really does connect with everyone who's come before and you being fully present. And she has this thing of the body not being in a form of apology. And so I say that to say that it's some of these practices in which I'm in dialogue with stillness because there are times where just to be before someone and to move as little as possible is a practice in itself. What I find myself doing more day to day as well in terms of just life practice is little reminders of being present because at least I find myself, you know, life can be stressful. You're doing this, you're doing that, but it's important for me to connect with where I am and to find the contentment in that. I am in this room. There's a green thing behind me. There's a laptop here. There is a tea, which you can't see that I'm drinking. Like these things just slow down where my reality is. And I find myself, especially I can be walking, I'm plugged in, earphones in, locked into my own world in that. And sometimes I find myself more often saying, let's just deal with the hyper normality of the situation. Mm. 
or the present reality. Like, and I see these things, I hear mm. these things, I smell these things, I bring the senses in. And I'm not even going to say that has miraculous wonders because sometimes it isn't there to produce miracles. It's just there to remind you that all of this is here. And sometimes that can be the godsend for me. I can just slow down my way of being. I can place value into the room or into the space or wherever I am because I'm acknowledging things. Mm. And there's a lot in life that can take me out of this space into other things. So I find that is connected to stillness or to presence because it's connected to contentment and acceptance. And in the practice of stillness or slower movement, all those sensations are coming up. You know, what you can be content with, what you can't, what you need to be patient with and all those things. So, yeah, maybe that gives a bit of insight to how I feel that. It's been wonderful hearing you share your thoughts on your practice and your thoughts on presence today. And I know that everyone's going to get a lot from it. I certainly did. So thank you, Tyrone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Shade Podcast with Tyrone Isaac Stewart. I hope you enjoyed hearing about Tyrone's practice in jazz and dance as much as I did. I was particularly intrigued by Tyrone's practice of self-development as an integral part of his discipline as an artist. His confidence in sticking with this self-work, regardless of how uncomfortable it may be, benefits not only his practice, but all of us. Be sure to visit his work with Julian Knox at The Barbican and his music using the links I've shared in the podcast description. Subscribe to Shade Podcast to listen to all the episodes in this series. Also explore Shade Art Review on Substack, joining thousands of art-curious listeners like you who are discovering more about the work of visual artists from the Black Diaspora. There you'll find art listings, comment, artist spotlights and guest posts, and free subscriptions are available. But for the full Shade Art Review experience, sign up today to receive 20% off your annual membership, an offer which is available for the duration of this series. This series of Shade Podcasts was produced and hosted by me, Lou Mensa, and mixed by Tess Davidson. See you next time.